Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Welcome everyone to Pencils and Lipstick. I am Kat Caldwell. Today is May 19th, 2022. And we have a wonderful guest today. We always have a wonderful guest. Guys, you are like the best audience ever because everyone wants to come talk to you. So today we have Janice Hardy. She started Fiction University. She has a great blog, has so much information. She has a lot of really fun things to say also just to writers. You know, you always have like looking back, you have advice or things that you learned, you know, from whatever it is that you tried to do or are continuing to do. And so Janice, having been in the writing business for a while, she has some great pointers. One of my favorite things is how she gets through that muddy middle. So you're going to have to stick around to listen to her advice on that. So today um, I had to close my window because the birds will not stop singing. They woke me up at like 510 today. Not that, <laughs> not that I was productive at all at 510 because I just sat there and went in and out of dreamland, you know, and tried to get out of bed and I moved downstairs and with uh, my back, it's been difficult, especially in the morning to like get moving. And so I might sit and stretch or sort of like switch positions, sort of walk a little bit. By the time my body has really warmed up and my brain has woken up, it is time to get the kids ready for school. And that is the story of my life. You know, I've always been trying to be that person who would wake up early, you know, before everyone else. I like to be that person that's up, but I would love to be able to get some exercise in before everyone else. If I have like a class I need to go to that I paid for, I will do it. Yeah. Otherwise exercise happens later. And, you know, when you have pain and you are told to stop and you have to sort of move slower, then it's a lot harder to get moving, but it's okay. We'll get there you know, by the time I get there, there will be another change in life. So (laughs) whatever, it's fine. Life is good. Birds are singing. It's raining all the time here, but now it is sunny. So we're going to get some writing done today. Somebody asked me a funny question, just a question that I hadn't thought about. Do you know what a book hangover is? Like when you read a really great book and you close it and you're just like, no, I don't want, I didn't want that to end. Is there another book? And you know, you Google the author and did they write another book? And if it's a standalone, you just think, oh, and it's that like that space of reverie that you just want to sit in and you don't want the bubble bursted by anybody. You just want to talk about the book or think about the book. That's why book clubs are around, right? Because if you read a great book, you really want to delve into it. You want to talk about it. You want to share about it with other people, um, see what they thought about it. You just want to sit in that moment 
and you want to extend that moment as far as possible. This can happen to us also with television, you know, a movie or a series like that. You don't want it to end. You almost don't want to watch the last episode because you know it will be done. That is what my daughter felt like with the Harry Potter series. She didn't want to watch the last movie. Oh, but once I watch it, I'll know everything, you know. So somebody asked me, as a writer, do you get book hangover when you're done writing a book? And it took me by surprise, you know, when you get these questions that you haven't really thought of. My first answer was like, no, because just because you finish the draft doesn't mean you're done with it. You still have to edit it. You still have a lot of work ahead of you. You still get to spend time with that person. And, you know, that character really is what I'm saying. And no, like, you know, and that's, I, I guess some people do because that's why they write series. So they want to stay with the character. And so I was like going on and on. Of course, this is during French class, I'm like trying to speak in French and <laughs> like, no, and I'm trying, I'm working through this question. And the truth is like, if you like the character that you're writing about, you do get book hangover. You do sort of, it's great and satisfying to write the end. And yet sometimes you can walk away and you don't feel like popping the champagne bottle. You almost feel like crying or, you know, I'm not a big crier. So just like, oh, a funk, you know, you miss your characters. You miss having to think about them, having to, you know, decide what comes next, having to discovering something else about them, discovering this world that you're creating. And now it's over and editing's definitely not the same. Not to say that sometimes editing you have to completely change a scene, you know, or you have to add something in there, but it's different. Like everything's already pretty much created. The characters are created. Um, the world is created. And I do think that's probably why writers like writing in series. It's probably why the, the fashion right now is to write a series because of those book hangovers. So, I mean, that's, that's why I, I'm going to write a sequel to Stepping Across the Desert. Not exactly a sequel, but, you know, Philip Dowser's story. You know, what happens to him? I can sort of bring back the other characters. I don't have to create them. They're already there, you know. I do have to create his love interests, so, but that's fun. But so I'm just asking, like, have you ever experienced this book hangover? I can imagine if you finish a series of, you know, four, five, six, seven or more series, I wonder if that book hangover is worse or if it's okay. Like, are you, you know, coming down slowly? Like, you know, that <laughs> there's this countdown and this is the last book. I know that we would then move into a full sense of accomplishment. Like you've finished a book. It's amazing. But it's almost like the, the steps of grief, right? Everything has its steps. And sometimes, you know, this hangover process or this grief process is part of writing a book. You know, you're done with it. You're done creating that character. So I just thought that was an interesting question and maybe something interesting for you to think about. What was your experience when you finished a book or a series or a short story? Are you sad about it? Like, have you tried to figure out a way to continue that because you want to delve back into that world? My book, An Audience with the King, which is kind of a low fantasy book, I really love that world and I would love to get back into it. 
I just haven't really figured out how to do that or how I would do that. I have lots of little ideas, you know, but nothing that, that comes up as a, a full story yet. So just a question. And if you have a book that you've read that just really gave you book hangover, like that is what I am looking for. I am looking for a book that will give me book hangover because I love that feeling. <laughs> Although it's a little sad, like, oh, I, I finished the book, but I love the feeling that I just read like a great story. You know, I just, I love that. I would love to hear about your book hangovers. I think my biggest one was Trinity. That was a great book that really stuck with me for a long time. And then Kirsten's hand, Kirsten Hannah's, what is that? The Nightingale. I think that one stuck with me too, in part because it, the ending was not what I expected it to be. I thought that was a great, great book hangover. So if you want to let me know about your book hangovers, you can follow me on Twitter at pencils and lipstick, you know, and then I'll know that you're not a bot. If you tell me what your book hangover is, if anyone follows Twitter these days, we're all talking about who's a bot and who's not a bot and, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> so tell me what your book hangover is in there. Then I'll know that you're not a bot. Otherwise you can follow me on Instagram. So the podcast has an Instagram at pencils and lipstick all spelled out just like Twitter, or you can follow me and get to know what we're doing over at the community and what I'm writing at catcaldwell.author. I'm also on Facebook. You kind of get the announcements over there, but I'm not very active and you get the announcements on LinkedIn as well. So you can always find everything at pencilsandlipstick.com. Everything spelled out, catcaldwell.com. And remember, it is still May. We still have the community open. It was really fun today. I got to talk with Carissa Andrews. If you don't know her, she has a great podcast called Author Revolution. It's a great podcast. She talks a lot about mindset, a lot about rapid release. She knows a lot of things I don't know. And I love listening to people who know just a different aspect, a different angle of the industry about writing. She writes fantasy and sci-fi, so that's fun. But I got to talk to her on her podcast, and she is coming on to Pencils and Lipstick, so that is a fun exchange. I talked to her about the community and about what we're doing and all the sprints that we do and the, uh, the space that we have to ask questions and let people know what we're doing and be held accountable. You know, what are you going to do this week? I'm going to write two blog posts. Did you write your two blog posts? Usually I'm like, no, <laughs> can't write your blog post. So we keep each other accountable. How far are you in getting that story done? Didn't you want to publish it now? One of our writers, Madison Michael, she, over the weekend, I think she got up in the contemporary romance. Gosh, she got up really high in the charts. I want to say like number nine. She got really, really high up, which is so amazing. It's great to have a spot where you can just sort of brag on yourself and, and people will recognize the amount of work that went into getting there. You know, I mean, we can always put that on Facebook and people will congratulate you, but they might not understand just, you know, the sweat and the tears that go go into getting your book seen by people. So that is part of the community. And then it's the experts that come in and talk about all the things that they know about and help us tweak our marketing and tweak our books and tweak our mindset and all these things. What has helped them, what didn't help them, what they learned, you know, in this journey. I mean, part of that is the podcast, but in the community, you get to be there one-on-one -on -one with these experts. You get to ask them questions. I um, mean, you only get access to that 
if you're part of the community. Those don't go up on the podcast at all. They are just sort of this one-time thing. You can access videos if you're in the in the group, but got to be in the group. So I really encourage you as we all go back to work, as summer comes, find a writing community that you connect with. It will help you keep your writing going. It will help you give focus to what needs to get done, You know, whether a chapter or the book or the marketing or the sales or whatever needs to get done. You, It, it gives you a place to ask questions because there's a lot of little details that go into publishing your book, even if you do it traditionally and definitely if you do it independently. So I encourage you to find a community of writers. If you want to find out more about the creative writing community, you can find that over at catcaldwell.com just at the top. Creative writing community is the name of the group. And then you have the creative writing sessions membership. If you just want a place to write, you can pay just for the sprints and get access to 20 hours a week of sprinting. If you don't really want to be distracted by the marketing at all or the the experts. You still get to be part of the Slack and the sprints. So because of the sprints, a lot of us are getting our books done, which is great. It's a great way to build that daily writing habit. So please, before we get into the interview, would you share the podcast with anybody that you know who is a writer or enjoys listening to writers talk about writing, authors talking about authoring? If you would like and subscribe it on whatever app it is that you use to to listen to the podcast. If people prefer transcripts, you can find them over at pencilsandlipstick.com. Everything's spelled out. You can find full transcripts there. No, we don't have videos. Lots of people don't want to be on video, but some of you have asked for videos. So I don't know. It's being thought about. It is in the process of being thought about, but you can find the, the transcripts in the show notes. You can always find the the links to the interviewee, their webpage, sometimes their social media if they have it, sometimes their books if they have a book. So definitely check out the show notes, but please like and subscribe. If you leave a review, that would be even more awesome. I love reading reviews, love seeing where people are from, where they're listening from. And if you ever just want to get in contact with me, ask questions about the podcast or suggest somebody for the podcast, you can Probably the best place to do that is on Twitter at pencils and lipstick. Everything's spelled out. And that is it. Let us go talk to Janice Hardy. Janice Hardy is the award-winning author of the teen fantasy trilogy, The Healing Wars. Her novels include The Shifter, Blue Fire, and Dark Fall from Blazer and Bray HarperCollins. The Shifter was chosen for the 2014 list of 10 books all young Georgians should read from the Georgia Center for the Book. It was also shortlisted for the Waterstones Children's Book Prize 2011 and the Truman Award 2011. Janice is also the founder of Fiction University, a site dedicated to helping writers improve their craft. Her popular Foundations of Fiction series includes Plotting Your Novel, Ideas and Structure, a self-guided workshop for plotting a novel, the Companion, Plotting Your Novel Workbook, and the Revising Your Novel, First Draft to Finish Draft series. Her Skill Builder series includes Understanding Show, Don't Help, and Really Getting It, and Understanding Conflict and What It Really Means, focusing on common problem areas for writers. You can find Janice at JaniceHardy.com and on Twitter at Janice underscore Hardy. 
right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. Today, I have with me Janice Hardy. You might have heard of her through Fiction University. Um, I have heard of her through several different writers. So I'm very excited to have her on to talk about both her fiction and her nonfiction. Hello, Janice. How are you doing today? Hello there. I'm doing quite well. How are you? Good, good. We figured everything out. We're settling in and I am really interested about your writing journey, both in the fiction writing and the nonfiction. You are a middle, what do you call it? Middle grade? Middle grade. Middle grade. I have one series in middle grade. I have one series that's adult. And then I have my nonfiction. I have, I have my fingers in a lot of things. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into how you became a writer. Well, uh, I started out as a graphic designer. That's what I went okay. to school for. When I was growing up, I had two skills. I could write and I could like draw, not draw, but design and, and yeah. had a good creative eye. And I figured I would starve a lot faster as a writer as I would as an artist. <laughs> yes. So when I went to school, I went to school for commercial art, which actually worked out really, really well. Um, and then as I was, uh, as I was not growing up, but as I was working and doing things, I, you know, sure. I kept writing on, on the side because that was my dream. I had always mm-hmm. wanted to be an author for probably a really long time. And eventually I kind of ended up writing more and more and eventually sold my novels and kind of went on this crazy, crazy journey. I think I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to pull back right there now. (laughs) I tend to do that. I do like to babble. I can't help it. Let's see. I'm a Florida gal. I grew up in in Florida. I moved away for about a decade up to the beautiful mountains in Georgia. And I miss that terribly, but I'm back in Florida in central Florida now. I'm about 45 minutes from Disney World. Yay. Yay. That's always Fun. You got the pass. You can go I there whenever. The yes, it's always nice. I'm a big Disney fanatic. Uh, I'm a gamer. I love anything that has to do with stories, a big sci-fi yeah. fantasy geek. You know, it's just uh, lots of fun. So I guess it's me in a nutshell. Yeah, it takes about a lifetime to visit Disney. So definitely <laughs> it's good to have that pass. Oh, yeah. I love having all the theme parks so close. That is really cool. So you have the sunshine. I think you've stolen it from DC area because we went back down to like winter temperatures here. Oh, I miss the winter temperatures. Like I I don't like the nineties. I really, I like the snow and the cold and that whole winter where you get to bundle up in sweaters and scarves. And I love all that. I never, I, it was so different. I mean, I grew up with sunshine and beaches and I'm tired of paradise, you know, like when people want to come down and I'm like, Oh, I don't want sandy beaches and blue water and, you know, palm trees, like give me mountains and trees with no leaves. I I know that's crazy, but you like what isn't normal for you. That's true. That's true. So you're always, you know, going North as people go South, which is good. Then you can find a cabin in the woods and everyone else is on the beach. Exactly. (laughs) I love that. It's perfect. So you started out in middle grade, uh, for fiction, is that right? That's correct. I actually, my my first, um, my debut novel, The Shifter, I actually wrote it as a young adult. And my protagonist, okay. Naya, was 17. And we went through it. And then I got my agent. And then we sold the, the trilogy. There's three books. Okay. And they were just discussing it. And at that point, because we're going back to about 2008, 2009, okay. at this point. And at that point, um, YA had started to shift a little bit and it was very, mm. very gritty and, and there was very sexy and it was starting to turn into what it is now. It hadn't quite gotten there yet, but it was starting to do that. And they were saying that the story um, was much more of an adventure and mm. the romance, there was a little bit of romance in it, but not much. And it wasn't is that they felt that it was suited for more of a, of a middle grade, a younger, a slightly younger reader. So then okay. they do that. And they wanted to make my protagonist 12. 
And I was like, no, there's no way that she can do what she does in this book. You know, I mean, like she she does some pretty not not terrible things, but she faces some really tough choices and she does do right. some things that are not quite so good. Uh, and I'm like, there's no way she can do that if she's 12. I just don't think it's going to be believable. So we kind of discussed it back and forth. My editor agreed and we lowered the age to 15. Okay. Which then put the book in a strange category called upper middle grade. And oh. for those who don't know, a middle grade is for your nine to 12 readers. Think, you know, late elementary school, early middle school, you know, middle okay. school. Right. Um, so like maybe fourth grade to sixth grade. Uh, and then you have high school, you know, YA, which is 14 to 18, roughly. So basically high school. Okay. Uh, and then upper middle grade kind of straddles that. It's 10 to 14. So oh you get goodness. like a, li- so you kind of get that a little bit, like maybe fifth to ninth grade. So it's, it's for readers who the regular middle grade is a little too kid-like and they're looking okay. for something a little deeper and more complex, but they're not quite ready to handle the grown-up type situations that you right. find in in YA. So it's actually yeah. a really good category. It's just one, there's no middle upper middle grade section in a bookstore or like on Amazon or anything. It doesn't exist as an actual category. So a lot of people don't know what it is unless you're a writer and you write it. Okay. And you know what it is. That seems like an easy fix. Like it make should a page, be. They should just do it. I know. Cause there's a lot, you think there'd be a lot of readers who are like, I have this 12 or three, I have a 13 year old kid, right. child, and I don't want them reading the older Hunger stuff, games. because it's too much. <laughs> I don't want them reading Hunger Games. Yeah, because it's a little too much. But I also don't want them reading The Magic Treehouse because they're beyond that. Or they're, yeah. they, you know, so there's not much out there. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, there's I mean, plenty that out make, there. But yeah, right. It is make it easier for the parents. I mean, I have one right in the middle right there. And mm-hmm. she's quite sophisticated in her reading. But she also has, you know, a specific taste. <laughs> so it would make me, you know, it would make it easier to find that book for her. And yeah, I've I've heard quite a few parents talking about how they don't want them yet reading Hunger Games or things like that, or maybe they want to hold off on the romance. You know, it depends on the mm-hmm. parent. That would, yeah, come on, it's a it's a table in Barnes and Noble. You think that they could figure I, that out? They they really should do that. Even though they have the stores set up, like here's the kids stuff, and then there's that YA section. It's like just have a little spot between the two of them. Like here's upper middle grade. Yeah, yeah. You know, so here's they decided. <laughs> Yeah, really. What I really, I mean, when you think about it, that's kind of what it is. It's like tween fiction. Okay, it's for that in between, between your, you know, like your twelve to fourteen. It's not quite. You're not quite a teen anymore. You're not quite a teen, but you're still not a kid either. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Okay, if anyone from Amazon is listening, you should. Really do that. <laughs> so that was around um, 2009 that you sold the book. Yeah, and you, the whole trilogy at once. I sold the whole trilogy, uh, nice. which was great, um, which was fun. Yeah, it, it was interesting because at the time there were two publishers who were who were bidding on it, and one of them wanted that book as a standalone, and then maybe a second book to be named later, and then the other one wanted all three as the trilogy because we offered it up, but it could have been a standalone book, but there was more for the story to go if okay. we could have sold it for a trilogy. Like you know, it wasn't dependent on that on being okay. a trilogy. It wasn't one story broken into three pieces kind of thing so it could have gone on but it could have been just one book and uh, we went back and forth and, and the publisher who won it was Balzer and Bray with Harper Collins and she's okay. like well it's a trilogy what of course you know I won all three books so they bought all three nice Yay, so did you have really the other sweet. one started uh, nope, not a clue. I had I had some <laughs> general ideas. Yeah, I will never write a trilogy again uh, unless I know what the whole story is going to be. Like, I don't even want to like submit it until all three, or at least a rough draft, are done. Right. It was so tough writing that trilogy. I knew where the story was going, and I had a general sense. And I think I I think I had like 
maybe a one page synopsis for the book two. And I had like a half a page synopsis for book three, because I really didn't know what was going on on that one. But that was enough at the time. Okay. Uh, and so, so yeah, it was a little bit of a struggle. There's a reason I wrote book two five times. Five times. Five times. I mean, rewrote it. There's like one scene in the entire book that that survived the entire drafts. And they're trying to save somebody on the docks. Anybody who has read the book. But the person they're trying to save changed almost every single time. I can't really? even tell you right now. This has been a decade since I've read it or wrote it. I can't even tell you who they're trying to save in that final scene. Like, I don't remember what because it was. It's all mixed up. It, 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 well, yeah, because I wrote it so many times and it was like, I wrote it and it's like, this is garbage. And I would trash it oh, and no. I just start over on a blank file, like not even trying to salvage it. It was just one of the hardest things I've ever done from a, as an author writing. Yeah. The hardest project I think I was to write that. You know, it, Finally got it done at the end, but, Did but you, yeah. And I think in the middle of that, I was like three weeks from my deadline, and I caught like back then it was the Beijing flu. Remember that years ago? Oh and I was God. sick as a dog in bed. I'm sitting here, I'm trying to do my edits, or trying to even do edits. I think I'm trying to finish the the draft because like if I don't turn it in, we're gonna miss our deadline. Like <gasps> this is how bad it is because I'm over. And I would write for a while and then I would flop sideways and take a nap oh, for 20 minutes. And then perfect. I would get up and I would write for a while and then I would flop. It was, it was terrible, but I survived and I you did survived. and the book came out and the second, and were you the like third hallucinating book at that point? You're oh, like, I, don't even know. I was, I was having horrible <laughs> book nightmares and, and just, oh. oh, it was, it was awful. But do you think maybe that's how it was in, I don't know, back in the fifties when people would sell their books and. I mean, you kind of read about these stories where the writer is like obsessing because they have to write like that. That sounds horrendous. (laughs) (laughs) It was what you went through. Oh my goodness. Struggling with a book, even though, so maybe anyone who's listening already has the thought, you know, sometimes you have the books in your head where they just come and you know the whole story, but sometimes you just have that sort of inkling. Yeah. I kind of know, like you say where it's going, you start writing and it's like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, it got done. So you have the trilogy. The trilogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, did you take a break at that point? Was it traumatic, or did you enjoy? Um, you know, well, you it back? was fun, and we did a lot. And I had started on another book after that, okay. which was uh, a straight up uh, YA fantasy. And I had started writing it, and uh, and I thought writing Blue Fire was bad, but then <laughs> then this other book I call it, uh, YA fantasy came along. And I had, and I wrote it and then revised it, wrote it and revised it. It just wasn't quite working. There was something about it that wasn't quite clicking. And this happens. Okay. You just, just yeah. have it. And, it. and it's funny. Not all my books go like this. Like Shifter was incredibly easy to write. I wrote mm-hmm. it in like six months. It was three months of revisions. We turned it around and we sold it. Like right. that was easy. So I don't want to give the impression that I struggle with every single book, but I have had a couple of books that I have struggled with a lot. Yeah. And, and this YA fantasy one was one of them. And I struggled and I worked on it for two and a half years and couldn't make wow. it work. And then finally was like, nope, this sucker. And it made me hate writing fiction, actually. That's when I switched oh, no. over to nonfiction. Okay. <laughs> because I was, I, the thought of going to the keyboard and trying to write a novel just made me cringe. And I should have given up on it like 18 months sooner. It was one mm-hmm. of those things that turned into a grudge match. And I, and now I know if, if I'm, I'm struggling with a book like that, I'm like, nope, it's not ready to write. And I keep going back to that book because it's, it's, it's a book I really believe in. And one okay. of these days I'm going to get it right. 
but I have to be really careful about when I go back to it because it can suck me into that hole yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'll make it work. And I know I make yeah. it work. And like, I keep hoping whenever I get it out there, it's going to be like the big breakout book. And that'll be the one that I'm giving these inspirational keynote speeches to and tell all of these writers Never that are struggling, <laughs> you know, it's like, look, this is what happened. It took me nine years to get this book written and da da da. And, you know, and it'll be very inspirational and everyone will be happy. Uh, yes. This is my dream for this okay. book probably won't happen, but this is what keeps me going when I want to just rip it to shreds and yes. throw it back I, in the floor. I would think most uh, most writers have those books in the mm-hmm. back. I, I love looking through my files and being like, yeah, it's such a great premise, but what's going to happen in that book, Kat? Never mind, put it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we all have that book of our hearts kind yep. of thing. Um, so yes, that's when I switched over and I started writing nonfiction. Okay. And I wrote my first book, uh, Plotting Your Novel, Ideas and Structure. Okay. which is kind of like uh, planning and developing and like, I want to write a book. I don't know how, what do I do? And it kind of takes you by the hand and leads you through. And it talks, you know, it's, it's, it says plotting and there's a lot of plotting in there, but there's also basics on like some character development and figuring out what type of writer you are, what type of, you know, like different structures and how to find ideas, you know, it's just kind of for definitely for those writers who are like, what do I do next? Right, Just need okay. a little guidance. There's lots of little things. So that happened to that. And once I got that done, I put that out for a while. And then I went back to fiction. So did the, did you come to that? Um, like, it was it pretty much what you learned through your process of selling the book and working with editors and writing the book, I guess, the second one? And um, is that just a, a really personal book? Or um, how did the nonfiction come about? It's Well, it came about in kind of a an odd way. I kind of fell into nonfiction. Okay. Years ago, I had done, I actually wrote the first draft of the shifter through uh, an online writing group, Gloria mm-hmm. Kempton's writer recharge. I think it was, um, I don't even know if Gloria is still doing it or not, but if she is take it great class. And I had worked with her for a while and, and was doing a lot of drafts and stuff with her. And then later on writer's digest, she worked with writer's digest on their online school. And they okay. needed an author to teach a sci-fi fantasy class online. And she uh, was impressed with my critiques and because we critiqued each other in the class. And she was very impressed with my critiques and my writing. And I think at that point I had sold the book. And she recommended me to teach one of their classes, asked me if I would nice. do that. And I thought that would be fun. So I did that and discovered I had a knack for teaching. Okay. Never would have known that. Totally out of the blue, but I, the way I would approach things and using examples, and I wrote a lot of extra material that, because what writers I just supplied all the lectures and stuff, but I wrote a lot of extra le- lectures with, to fill in the blanks and fill in the holes hmm. for things that they didn't explain. Okay. Because when I was writing, I got very, very frustrated when I was trying to learn something because I would read things like show, don't tell. Uh, they tell you, you know, they tell you what to do, use strong nouns and verbs, you know, dramatize, do this. They tell you what you're supposed to do, but nobody was actually sitting it down and breaking it down and making mm-hmm. it obvious what you were supposed to do. How do I even find told prose in my book? How do I do, you know, how do I do mm-hmm. it? I knew what I was supposed to do, but no idea for how I was supposed to do. So I went to a lot of studying and tore apart books and manuals and read every how-to book known to man and started figuring this stuff out. And okay. that's what I brought to this class. And nice. once I did, I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. And I did that for a while. And then I ended that. And then shortly after I sold my first novel, that was back when, you know, blogging was still somewhat new. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, you have to have a blog. You have to have a blog. And I was, nobody cares about me. Like, what? No one wants to hear about my day-to-day life. Like, what do I have to talk about? The only thing I had to talk about was writing. Okay. So I started blogging about writing. 
And then the blog grew and the blog grew. And then, you know, I thought, well, then I ended up writing the book and it just turned out that I really enjoyed teaching writing and helping writers solve all of those problems and deal with all or avoid the frustrations that I had gone through. Because at that point, I mean, I, when I started sending my original query letters, they were query letters. I mean, it was all snail mail. Mm -hmm. I had to buy the big giant three inch thick writer's market and go through with a highlighter. I mean, like that's how early it was when I started submitting. I mean, this was really, I mean, like pre email dating myself. It's terrible. But uh, but yeah, so there was like early, I was very young when I was doing all that, right? Well, they didn't want attachments. Remember how it was like before 2000, maybe even 12, 13, like nobody wanted attachments because they were all afraid you were going to send them some sort of spam or worm or virus. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. And this is even like the late 19, you know, 1998, 1999, right around 2000. I mean, like I was submitting, (laughs) yeah, I was submitting very early. It was just, you're you're printing out manuscripts and sending them in with, you know, with your stasis and and stuff and to send back. I mean, it was, it was that crazy, but so I did the blog and then I discovered I really loved it. So then um, I just shifted over to the nonfiction for a while. Okay. Uh, because, and I was still writing fiction at the time and trying to, you know, go back and wrote a bunch of books that just, you know, they weren't bad. The ideas were good and I'll probably do something with them at some point, but they just quite weren't working. Mm. And then, so I just kind of was focusing on fiction or nonfiction for a while because I was really having fun and enjoying it. Yeah. And I did that. And then we were growing fiction university. I say, wait, yes. cause my husband helped a lot. He's a professional geek, his words. So he helped a nice. lot with some of the technical stuff and setting things up. And he wrote a bunch yeah. of scripts and stuff and CSS and whatnot. Yeah, Cause it's site. definitely not a blog now. I mean, I guess you, maybe if you call it, but I mean, it's a full fledged website with how many articles do you have? Like thousands? There's over <laughs> 3000 wow. at this point. Yes. Wow. And I've written probably 2000 of I have a lot of wow. guest authors. I have a lot of guest authors because I, I, one of the things I like to, a philosophy that I firmly believe in is that there's no right way to write. Right. Everybody has okay. their own process. Everybody has their own path to get there. You know, they're all guidelines. It's all, there's no hard and fast rules, you know, right. for the most part. Um, so I have started bringing on guest authors to talk about how they wrote and talk about things like I am a hardcore outliner and plotter. Okay. I don't pants at all. I would not have anything back in these days. I'm much better now because I you know, learned a lot over the years, but I wouldn't have a clue early in those early days. I would have had no idea how to help a pantser with, the, okay. with their novel. I couldn't give you any advice, but I knew a lot of pantsers. So I brought them on the blog <laughs> so that they could talk about pantsing and they could talk about their process to help writers who did things differently and bring in That's writers right. who, you know, maybe did. The, I have a, a friend of mine. She writes out of order. She gets ideas for scenes and then she writes them down in longhand in spiral notebooks. And then when she feels like she has enough, she puts it all together and she turns it into a novel. I break out in hives just thinking (laughs) about that process, but she writes amazing books doing this process. Like this is what works for her. And and it's funny because I bring that up. Like it's almost every workshop or event I ever do because somebody always asks, you know, do you need to outline? Do you need to do this? And invariably there's a couple of people who go, Oh my gosh, I do that. I thought I was the only one. So it's nice to to see what other writers do, because I think that's very comforting to writers, especially if you're a new writer, because you know that you're not the only, like sometimes you can feel very isolated and sometimes you can feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm the only person doing this. Am I doing something wrong? Right. You're not doing something wrong. Whatever you're doing, I'm sure there are other writers who are doing the same thing. And as long as it's working for you, it's working for you. Now, if it's not working, then absolutely seek out and try new things and to find exactly. something that works better for you. 
So, yeah, and there, there's definitely, uh, I always suggest people to look into what other people do and brush up on your, your writing skills a little, maybe brush up on your grammar. It will save you money in mm-hmm. the editing process. Absolutely. Um, and it, there's nothing wrong with reading craft books. Like I started probably a year and a half ago. I never did it before because why would you do that? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> why would I do this? I have too many diapers in this house at this point. You know, like I don't have time to do that. But with especially the understanding of it's just one person's opinion on the craft, right? Like on how they do it, what they've learned, the things that they've seen, the things that they've studied. But there are some things like you mentioned, show, don't tell, you'll get that back from an editor. And sometimes, I mean, I started out in the early 2000s as well, sending out those, you know, pre-stamped things so that they can send back the answer to the query that said, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so glad I paid for that, you know. And you would sometimes get notes from the editor. So what are some things um, besides show, don't tell? And maybe you could even explain that to us. Like they would just say these random things. I mean, I didn't study writing in university. So I was like, I don't even know what you're saying. And then you could add some drama to it and they'd be like, too angsty. <laughs> you're like, but I changed it. Yeah. It's like, do you want this? Yeah. It, it's so what tough. Do you want? And it, well, and this is why I wrote my show, Don't Tell book, because that frustrated me so much. Yeah. And, and I sat down and really studied and tore it, tore it apart. Well, one of the things that I think that's really tough about show, Don't Tell is that there is no one hard and fast rule. If you're writing, like, for example, go back to middle grade. If you're writing middle grade, third person, you tend to show a little bit more because, A, you're using a third person, often more of an omniscient narrator. And the farther away you pull from your narrator the more telling is acceptable because you do have an outside narrator telling the story. And in middle grade, sometimes you have to tell a little bit more because you have very young readers who are still learning and still, you know, they, and some of them are very literal. They're still trying to figure out how this whole reading and book thing in life works. So sometimes you need to be a little bit more on the nose about stuff. You know, you'd want to be subtle as well, but sometimes you need to spell things out a little bit. Um, If you're doing a first person point of view, for like an adult first-person point of view, uh, telling is much more noticeable because nobody sits there and they see this all the time and nobody's, you know, you're not going to get rejected if you do this, but it always makes me go, when it's like, I I brushed my long curly blonde hair or something, or actually you wouldn't brush curly hair, but I brushed my long blonde hair. Nobody thinks like that. Nobody (laughs) does that. You know, you're not going to point out your own features and you know, and of course you do that because you need to let the readers know what the color hair of somebody is. But there are other ways you can do it. Okay. Um, uh, comparing and contrasting, I always like to use. That's a trick that I like to do. Um, but so that's one of those things. So depending on, on what you're writing and who you're writing for, that show don't tell is a sliding scale. Oh, that so it makes really it depends worse. On what, yeah. So it's, it depends on where your narrative distance is. Okay. If your narrative distance is really close telling is very obvious and you want to avoid it at all costs as much as possible because mm-hmm. anything you do is going to jump out and draw your reader out of your story. If you have a very distant narrative distance, the telling is going to feel more like like storytelling and more like, a, mm. an, you know, you're, you're a omniscient narrator and it's going to be more acceptable to a point because the style fits so much better, oh, especially okay. if you're doing something maybe more of a literary or something even more of a thriller or something that's a more distant detached versus a close character-focused journey. Sure. So that so that shifts where you're going. And I think that's one of the things that's really tough with writers is when you're trying to figure that out because you'll be getting advice 
And the advice doesn't necessarily apply to what it is that you're actually that you're writing. Writing. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, I think one of the other problems with writing advice is, uh, especially people like me who give a lot of writing advice, is writing is its own language. Okay. Writing advice is its own language. If you're new or you just have not encountered something before, uh, a very common thing is agency, character agency. The higher up, the more advanced you get, the more you're going to start hearing about character agency. And we all talk about it like we all know what it is. Yes, and a lot of people don't know what it is, especially is it? if you're new. <laughs> character agency. See, you're even a pro. You're a pro. And even like, then, mm. you're like character agency. Um, it's I'll one pretend. of those. And yeah, and it's like, I, like if you're an editor or a publisher, if you like really dig down into mm-hmm. the people who actually work with text on that level. Okay. Um, we know it because we teach it and we talk about it. But your average writer doesn't always, even if they're been, even if they have books published, they might not even know about it. Yep. It's that sense that your character has reasons for participating in the story. Their personal goals, their motivations are what's driving the story. They're not just an actor on a stage acting out the book. Well, it's that, that sense, sense that yeah. they're making the, that the story happen through their choices. Yep. And those choices matter to them. If you took that character out of the story, there would be no story. You can't just replace them with another person. You know, yes. it's like, oh, we'll throw out Bob and we'll grab Jane and we'll throw her in there. Um, right. Which can, some stories that some stories you can. And if you do, that is a red flag that there is probably a problem with your story. Okay. You know, your protagonist should actually matter and be doing that. Right. And they call that agency. That's agency. Interesting. Yeah. And I, uh, I and call that a good character. A good character. Exactly. <laughs> it is a good character. Uh, but so that's just one example. So there's a lot okay. of things. If if somebody never heard a phrase or they they don't know something. And they'd be like, okay, well, I'm not sure what it is. Or maybe they do know what it is. Conflict is another reason. Again, mm. this is why I wrote the conflict book. A conflict is one of those that has multiple definitions depending on context. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about the conflict, your your external conflict, your core conflict of your novel. You're talking about your individual scene conflict. You're talking about your internal conflict. You're talking about your character art conflict because character art conflict and internal conflict are not the same thing, even though they cl- they are very similar. Like how are you referring to your conflict? Yeah. You know, is it, so there's a lot of different definitions. And if somebody is, if you're trying to get information on external conflicts and somebody is telling you what you need to do for a character art conflict, you're going to be completely lost. Right. And you're just not going to communicate well. And you're going to be like, but, and you're going to have trouble plotting because you can't plot with internal (laughs) conflict. You need the external conflict in order to make those internal conflict have meaning. And like, you need something external because like I, my when I always joke, um, the easiest example here is like, you know, say your character, her goal is to find love in a romance mm-hmm. novel. I need to find love. Well, go out and find love right now. You can't do it. That might be her goal. I'm lonely. I'm unhappy. That's my conflict. I, I need to overcome my shyness to do the overcome your shyness. You can't plot with that because that's right. a state of being. It's not an action. Yes. But you can force yourself to go out and, you know, go out to bars and meet people. You can sign up for a dating service. You can ask your friends to set you up. You can start doing things that make you happy and run into people who also like those things. There are external things you can do. Yeah. Which will allow those internal conflicts to work themselves out. The story. So like, that's kind of how that works together, which we're okay. talking about. But like I said, I love talking about writing so I can get <laughs> off on tangents really easily. Um, but these are the types of things that are tough for writers because yes. if you don't understand the language and the context, you can get very lost and very confused. Right. And right. 
And I would assume that that even conflict that changes with genre, right? You might not Mm -hmm. throw tons of conflict at an upper middle grade where you might have more conflict. Well, in all the layers of conflict, Um, thriller, I would assume um, a lot of times Mm -hmm. if they're a James Bond type, he he doesn't have internal conflict or so he just wants to deny maybe. Yeah. And I I use those examples all the time. I'm like, you know, with character arcs, uh, they have internal conflict because internal conflict usually happens regardless. But like character arcs, that's the one, the character conflict, you know, Jack Reacher doesn't grow and change. James Bond doesn't grow and change. Like those characters are those characters. So again, it's definitely depending on what genre you're doing. But like romance, romance has a very, very different conflict because you're looking, I mean, you're, you don't, sometimes you have external antagonists, but most of the time it's a, it's a person versus self conflict Mm -hmm. and antagonist because it's the two love interests and they have their own baggage and their own issues. And those are the things they have to overcome. Well, that's a very different type of plotting than an external, we need to save the world. We need to stop the wizard. We need to, you know, you catch the, catch the killer. I mean, those are very, very different conflicts and you approach it in a completely different way. So do you think that's where some people with plotting, maybe they, they have issues with plotting because maybe they've listened or read a whole different genre, you know, or somebody that's absolutely looking yeah. at it from a different point of view. And then you're like, but I don't know. They're the biggest, you know, external thing is she goes to a bar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I do. I think that's tough. And, and this goes back to that, that writing advice thing is that is I love outlines. I love structure. I think mm-hmm. all writers can benefit from it. Um, but not all structures are the same. Okay. And like one of the big things, especially back when like Star Wars was coming out and everything and Campbell put out that hero's journey, the hero's journey is the main way you have to, and everybody was writing stories to the hero's hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Well, the hero's journey is the worst possible structure you can use for a romance because the whole point of the hero's journey is that he ends up, he makes he or she makes a sacrifice (laughs) and they end up alone at the end. (laughs) A romance is all about getting two people together at the end. It is the worst structure. So if you're trying to, plot a romance novel or anything that has a romance where your characters are getting together and you're trying to use the hero's journey, you're going to end up running into problems because the beats and the structure in that in that structure are, are completely contradictory to what you're trying to tell with your yeah. story. With, and with I that. would even argue, I know everyone uses Star Wars all the time, but Star Wars, they're working together all the time. And Han Solo and what's her name, Leia. And Leia. Yeah, they you are. Know, like, they're constantly they're not they're they're not james bond you know i really think like james bond is that yeah. guy that goes against m m6 what mi6 <laughs> oh well he's part of mi6 he goes against yeah. you know, he's, he's always yeah. his lone wolf and i mean I, I i've read all the books so i i see their point on some but again it, it sometimes you leave you leave the craft book you set it down. You're like, it made sense while I was reading it. And now that I'm trying to plot, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Exactly. And it's fun to like, I'm pulling things from different, I have like my own structure that I use and I pull things from because like uh, Blake Snyder has his save the cat, Mm -hmm. which is great. It's wonderful. But again, it's set for some very particular things, but he has his middle section, which he calls the promise of the premise Okay. for the middles. And I love that because that is, he talks about how that's the reason somebody picked up, well, went to see the movie because it is a screenwriting, even though they haven't adapted to novels. Um, but that's okay. the reason people picked up that book, went to see the story. Um, and like he uses uh, one of the great examples is Miss Congeniality with uh, 
with Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock yeah. You go to that movie because you want to see the hard-nosed FBI agent turned into the beauty queen. And that's <laughs> the whole middle with they're physically doing that and she's interacting and she's trying to get along with the, with the other contestants. And like, that's the fun. That's yep. the promise of the premise. And I love that from the middle mm-hmm. because the middle of a novel is 50% of your book. That's where all the story yeah. is. The beginning sets up the story and sets up all the characters and establishes all of your issues and problems. The ending resolves all of your issues and problems, but the middle is where the plot happens. Interesting. Which is why plotting is hard. So if you think about the middle as being the promise and the premise, that's great because you're like, this is the re- these are all the fun moments and all the exciting things that my readers picked up the book to get. Okay. So I love that concept. Yes. So I may not have it structured the same way he does, um, but but I like the idea of that. So I like thinking about the middle as the promise of the premise. So like there's different yeah. things that I pull and I like uh, Michael Haig has wonderful. He's great for great for character arcs and romance because he's got a, he has a very uh, what his six stage plotting structure. I think it is. Mm. Um, it's very character based and it's very he does a lot for romances and romantic comedies. So it's very heavy on the character art and the relationship. And that's a really nice structure for those kind of books. And there are elements of his structure that I like that I go, oh, right. if I'm doing kind of a character thing here, or if you're doing more of a group or an ensemble cast, well, the heroine's journey is great for that because that's right. all about, you know, characters uh, reuniting their families or reuniting society. It's about coming together, you know, yeah. that, so like you can kind of, there's no one structure more or less that except for like the basic three act structure because almost all beginning middle ending no matter what yeah, you do okay. on those three your three act <laughs> is essentially beginning middle ending which is american storytelling yes so that's kind <laughs> of what we do on that but uh but yeah so that's a lot of fun so you can kind of pull whatever whatever right. structure you need to whatever story you need and it can change so you don't right. have to be married to one right yes i think that that's an important point to to say especially not just beginning writers, but maybe writers who have a few books and maybe they're struggling because the way of plotting or planning, it just isn't working for that book. And, and it's okay mm-hmm. to realize that maybe they need to switch it up. But I really like that promise of the premise because the middle is usually the place where writers find themselves stuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, now I have to get them out of this issue. And why, why are they doing this anyway? They do. I have a little trick for that. Uh, and this is what helped me back when I was struggling with my middles is I do something called the mid, I call the midpoint reversal. And almost okay. every structure has a midpoint something in their okay. case, no matter what you have. But I like it right, right in the middle of the book. And it can be, you know, a chapter off, doesn't have to be exactly. But I like to do uh, a midpoint reversal, which is something happens that shakes up the story and changes the way the characters and the readers see the story. And sends kind of the story in a new direction because that turns your middle into two 25% chunks. And the first half of the middle is all about working towards whatever goals, whatever they're trying to do is to work towards that middle event. And then that middle event shakes things up and things happen and change. And it could be a discovery. It could be whatever it is. And then the second half is them recovering and dealing with okay. the, the ramifications of whatever that is which causes that slow descent where things start happening. The antagonist gets the upper hand and it slows that second half where you get to the end of act two, which you have to traditionally have your dark moments, your all is lost moments right before the climax. And having that moment makes it easier because it breaks it into a smaller chunk and it gives you someplace to go and then someplace to recover from because you have two points. You kind of have that arc. You have the beginning of the middle, the middle of the middle, the end of the middle, and you know where they start and you know where they end up. And then you have that middle point that helps them transition into going into that ending. And it makes it a lot easier. 
So and once I started plotting, doing that, it was, middles became a breeze. Easier. But, and I can see how plotting, you would need to plot that basically, because you, I don't know how you would pants that out. I'm not sure. How, how much do you, you say that you plot, but how much do you know? Do you know all three of those points before you oh, start absolutely. writing? Okay. Oh, absolutely. There's how um, much time do you spend plotting and, and deciding? Um, I'll probably spend a good month developing the story and the plot and the characters okay. before I ever, ever put paper to pen. Like there's plenty of things I don't know. When I wrote the shifter, I knew the only thing I knew about the ending was that she defeats the bad guy using her special power. <laughs> That's a given. I didn't know what it was, but then as I get closer and I update my outlines and I update mm-hmm. my my outlines, and I usually start with about a five or six point outline. I like to know my opening scene. I can't write a book until I have my opening scene done. I need a good first line. I need my opening scene until I have that figured out. Again, it took me a month to figure out the opening line for the shifter, which okay. is stealing eggs is a lot harder than stealing the whole chicken. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's the opening line. Um, so it took me about a month to get that opening line and that thing done. Right. And then the rest of it was a breeze. Okay. Um, but I like to know the opening scene, the inciting event. I like to know the midpoint. I like to know the ending. And the ending. Yeah, those are those five. Um, I have more. I have nine total, which my my personal thing. Um, but those are like those five points that I like to know, even if they're rough, because those are enough to give me an idea. I know how it starts. I know what happens to get my characters onto the plot path. I know what the shakeup is in the middle. And then I know how they're supposed to end. And how do you come to those points? Is that just thinking? Is it writing it out? Kind of brainstorming. I'll make a lot of notes. Um, Hmm. You know, I'll talk with my writer friends. Um, And it depends on which direction. Like sometimes an idea will come and it'll be like, oh, well, this is a story about X, Y, or Z. Like you have an idea. I know this is, this is a story about, you know, uh, it's it's a spy novel and I know that it's going to end with an assassination, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then if I know it's going to end with an assassination, then I work backwards. Well, how does it, how does my protagonist get into it? You know, mm-hmm. what are the things, what's going to surprise characters? You know, what, well, and sometimes I don't always know the midpoint. I try to know the midpoint. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm iffy on it, or it might be like, well, what's the surprise? What's the big shock? Because okay. sometimes there's a big shock in the story. What's going to surprise readers? And I try, I usually throw that at the midpoint. Now it may not okay. stay in the midpoint as I write the book. That may shift. Sure, sometimes okay. it does, but at least I have a direction. Yeah. Uh, I will update my outline all through my writing process when things change. And not only does it not stick me in there, because sometimes if you have an outline, one of the dangers is going, well, this is my outline and I'm not going to hear from it at all. <laughs> uh, and sometimes when you're writing, the better ideas come up. I mean, an outline right. for me, a lot of times is my first brainstorming. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm getting all of my my first ideas down on paper. And then as I write and as I develop it, I get better ideas and better ideas. And then and do you the do that with out. another person or do you do it just sort of um, by you yourself? Know, I just do it with me, but I have a couple of, of crit groups and a lot of good, you know, all my friends are writers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and we'll sit down and then we'll discuss things. Um, yeah, I've that's got, fun. Uh, one of my, one of my best friends, she's a writer. And uh, in the mornings we go on walks together, but she lives in another city. So we have the earbuds and, and nice. we talk as we're right as we're walking. And it's always, well, so what were we working on today? And we talk through our scenes. We talk through our yeah. plots. We talk through what we're struggling with and we hash things out back and forth, which is incredibly helpful. Cause sometimes yeah, you just need to say things out loud. If once mm-hmm. you articulate them, then you can clarify what it is you mean. It's that nebulous. I know what's going to happen. And I think I know specifically what it is, but then when you actually try to write it or do it, you realize, nope, nope, I don't have it. <laughs> yes, I so really, I believe in that. Like talking it out, even if it, even if you don't 
end up sitting down, like you say, and doing exactly what you claimed you were going to do on your walk because that happens too, you know, but you, somehow it helps. It's not just you thinking about it. It's like, oh, I have really the whole scene in my head, especially with a book that you're not, you don't have the whole thing in your head. And like we've said before, some books come pretty quickly and some books are just an idea and you, you kind of need that seed to, to sit in the dirt for a minute and you just need to be like, okay, how am I going to make this a good book? And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as a new writer is to sit down the minute that you have the idea and think that a book is just going to come out because that's like you sort of said with conflict and with show don't tell that there are, there are some rules about storytelling that readers know inherently that they're going to understand if that character can be pulled out and switched out with somebody else, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they're going to be like, I just, I don't know something about this book. And they're going to put it down and you're never really going to know why, you know, why didn't it work for my readers? And here I go. I'm I'm not sure where I was going with that, but (laughs) I (laughs) I like your morning walks. I like this idea. So what, what happened with fiction um, university? It went from a blog to this huge. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it started off as just, you know, Janice Hardy's blog. Oh, actually it was the other side of the story. Oh, I like that. Was what the original name was because I I was telling the other side of the story, which I thought was terribly clever when we came up with that back in 2008, I guess it was. (laughs) Um, So we started doing that. And after about two or three years, I noticed that the posts that were getting the most attention and things people were asking me about and talking to me, and I had started right around that part, I started doing a lot of writing workshops and I started Mm. teaching writing and going out and doing those. And I realized that, you know, this was my niche, like writing okay. education and helping. So we decided, and this is my husband and I, again, we decided that we were just going to revamp it and rebrand it and call it Fiction University. I like it. Yeah. Which was a lot of fun. And that's what we did. And once we did that and started having, and then I had a focus and I knew what I wanted to do with it right. and a direction. And then I started going, okay, let's, how can we shape some of these posts instead of being more like musing or philosophical talking about writing? Like, let's get more into the how-to of the posts. Okay you know, here are some tools. And I try very hard, uh, both with the blog and with all of my writing books. It's like, here are tools that might help you mm-hmm. or that can help you use the tools that work for you. Don't use the tools that don't work for you. Here are different options. And I try to give multiple options for everything that I do nice. because again, people have different, there's different needs. There's different things. Some things click with one writer, some things click with, with different right. writers. Sometimes you need to have something approached in a slightly different way. I try to use a lot of examples. I found that that helps writers a lot yes. and they can see actual physical examples. I love dissecting text and dissecting a topic okay. kind of thing. There's a, is it in the show don't tell book? I think it's, I can't remember if it's show don't tell or conflict at this point. Um, I think it's the conflict book. There's like a a very short chapter that kind of analyzes how conflict works and how states mm-hmm. escalate and everything. That's my favorite part of the whole book, just because it's kind of hysterical. It's this this whole thing with this wizard and like this evil wizard coming to enslave the <laughs> land and why they're doing it. And it's kind of done almost in a script format. Yeah. And it's just really funny and it's very helpful. And I've had lots of people be like, oh my gosh, that was my favorite part of the book too. It made so much <laughs> sense when you played it all out like that. Uh, and so it's fun. And, right. and I like doing that and digging into it and showing the different things because yes. I, I, it's about understanding why we do things. Yeah. Um, there's a, a funny little story that I heard years ago. And again, I tell this so often. So if, if you're hearing this now and you've seen me in a workshop, you're probably going to hear this story again. Uh, we call it the ham story. Uh, and there was this little girl who you know was watching her mom cook dinner and her mom cuts the end off the ham and puts it in the, the, the pan. 
She's like, well, mommy, why do you cut off the hand before you put it in there? She's like, I don't know. That's something my mother always did. Well, let's call grandma and ask her. So they call grandma and they say, mom, why do you cut off the end of the hand before you put it in the pan? She says, I don't know. My my mother always used to do that. Let's call her and find out. So they call great grandma and say, why do you cut off the end of the hand? She says, my pot was too short. (laughs) So it's a fun story because it shows that there's things that we do because we we were told to do them that way and yep. we have no idea why we do it. Yes. And with writing, if you're doing something because someone told you never use adverbs, always mm-hmm. do this, don't start here. If you're doing it because you were given instruction, but you don't understand why right. that instruction is works the way it's supposed to, if you don't understand how it works, then you can run into problems or, you're, or you won't be able to use the tools as well as you could if you understand how they work. So like my philosophy with writing is understand how writing works, understand the tools and how they work so that you can use whatever tools you need to need to use to achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve in your writing. Yes. So that's kind of my philosophy. Yes. Most people's uh, last class on writing was eighth grade, maybe sophomore year of high school, you know, (laughs) it was whatever that teacher was writing and wanted to read. Yes. Yeah. And it's very different types of writing too. Yeah. So like write a short story and you're just like that 14 trying to struggle just because you want to grade. Yep. <laughs> and then, and then pretty much I would, I will say just for me, it was reading and reading and reading and wanting to write a story and just pretty much trying to piece things together for the first book, you know, and like, uh, I'm pretty sure this works. And I think what happens a lot of times is it might work for the first few, And then when you want to write a different story, and if you don't know how to use the tools, you, you find yourself in this corner where you're like, well, I don't know how to move or like, why is it? I think it's more like, why is this not working? It's that gut feeling, you know, where you're just like, if it works, you're fine. And I think a lot of writers, because we read so much, Mm -hmm. we inherently know how a story should be structured and how things work Mm -hmm. because you recognize good writing when you read it. So you've got that sense. Uh, And and when you get it right in your draft, then you're like, yeah, this works. I'm a great writer. But when you get it wrong, which you're going to get it wrong, we all yes, do. At some when point. you get it wrong, you have no idea what to do to fix it because you don't know what it is you did to get it right. Yes. So, so you, true. So it's like, I, I will. I mean, I've known writers who would write first drafts or write drafts and they either worked or they didn't. If they didn't work, they just throw them aside and go on to the next one because they were incapable of revising because they didn't understand why their story right. worked or why their story didn't work. Oh, they just had nat- a natural enough talent to, you know, get it 30% of the time or 50% of the time or whatever. Uh, right. And then once they started actually learning, then they started nailing those stories and they were able to revise those stories to turn them into something worth reading. When, right. when before they would just toss them aside because they, they had no idea how to fix them. Yes. Oh my goodness. I, I like that. <laughs> I like being <laughs> able to know how to revise because I do think that this happens quite often. And I think then we get, you know, that sort of imposter syndrome and oh, maybe I shouldn't be writing it. And we, you know, mentally, just for our mental health, we should know how to, <laughs> to revise it and, and, and write the story, you know, that you, it's in the, your head for a reason. You got a full draft. So I know on fictionuniversity.com, uh, you have you have first drafts, revision editing, your word choice. You have your nonfiction books as well. Oh, I wanted to talk to you about your other pen name, and we've, <laughs> we've already <laughs> gone over time. Um, you also have another pen name that you write with with adult books. It, why why did you decide to have a pen name for your fiction? 
Well, I did because I write for kids. Okay. And I'm writing in my adult work. Uh, I have an urban fantasy out under J.T. Hardy. Okay. And I will have, hopefully next year, I'll have a science fiction detective series that I'm going to okay. be starting, which will be fun. And those are all for grownups. And okay. in my urban fantasy blood ties, uh, one of the one of the characters is an ex-Marine, and she drops a lot of F-bombs. And I, my 12-year-old readers probably shouldn't be reading that. I'll get yeah. angry letters from parents. <laughs> so I wanted to set something up that was still me, still Hardy. Mm-hmm. But was just slightly different enough that my children readers, my my younger readers would not automatically go there. You know, they may not be looking for them kind of thing. So I set that up. And also, this was a story that was my husband's idea. And so he helped with the world building. And we did a lot of discussing and playing things. And I wanted to give him a little nod. And his name is Thomas. He's Tom. Oh, perfect. So the JT is actually for Janice and Tom Hardy. And so he's been doing more and more. And again, the detective thing is his idea. He's premise boy. I could rent him out at writer's conferences because he has ideas constantly constantly coming in here going, what if he is just, he's great with ideas. Uh, And so with the sci-fi, it's much more technical and a lot of computer oriented stuff. Mm -hmm. He's he's a computer geek. So he's been involved much more in the development of the sci-fi series. Well, that's a Uh, cute idea. I wanted to include him in that, even though he doesn't do the writing aspect, he does a lot of the the development aspect with me. Well, that's fun. Yeah. So definitely, I think it's something to think of if you are writing two different ages, age groups to possibly create a pen name, right? A lot of people do it for genres, but um, you can, well, you know, it kind of depends if you're, if your readership is completely different, hmm. then you want to do that because what you don't want to have is uh, say you write, you know, sweet, clean romances, and then you put out like a really hard hitting urban fantasy with a lot of sex. Those two readers probably aren't the same. And if one of them picks up the other, you're going to get a bad review because it's not yeah. the book that they're looking to read. And then right. there's bad reviews and even. And even with on the algorithms with Amazon, they judge like, well, who's reading your book? And if you have a lot of sweet, clean romance people looking over at your hardcore, sexy urban fantasy, it's going to skew your algorithms because those people don't buy this book. So if it triggers that this should be marketed to those people, they're going to be very unhappy. So there's a whole business and and Amazon algorithm thing that goes behind pen names too, uh, besides just keeping it separate. Some people just want to keep your name separate because, you know, if you're writing erotica and you teach kindergarten, you may not want your, (laughs) you know, you may want to keep that separate, that kind of thing. And But a lot of times if you've got completely different readerships, you want to have pen names, that way you're not going to muddy the pool with each of them. Uh, Okay. Um, And you may have someplace somewhere going, you know, well, I also write under this name. If you like this type of book, you can also go for this type of book. So sometimes people have different pen names and all your readers know all your different pen names. And sometimes people have pen names and nobody knows somebody is a different different pen name because you want to keep that separate. You want to keep it under wraps. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So there are multiple reasons. I will have uh, your links in the show notes if people want to find Janice Hardy or JT Hardy, or you write nonfiction under Janice Hardy. Under Janice Hardy, yeah. All the the fiction university and all of that is is under me. And can they sign up for a newsletter? I mean, you have a lot of blog posts, but tons of blog posts. Uh, I do have the newsletter, which you can sign up for, and it and it goes out once a month, and it is. Mostly it's like writing tips and writing, you know, craft and this. And usually there's anywhere four to six different articles and, and it's, you know, it's, it's a newsletter and you get a little update of what am I doing, but most of it, most of it is like more writing tips. 
Perfect. and more writing stuff. Awesome. Well, very good. We will have people go there to find you and find out more about you, Janice, and the Fiction University. I do like your newsletter. I find it very helpful. And it's not every day. I like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah. That's just one. once a month usually. And there are times when things are getting busy and, and what, what happens. Sometimes I do, you know, skip a month here and there, but I try to do, I try to do monthly. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Janice, for coming on to the Pencils and Lipstick. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils Olympic podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.